I'm curious, how many of you have heard the news over the last couple months about one of my heroes uh, when I was growing up was Bruce Jenner. Any of you heard the news recently about Bruce Jenner? Well, if you don't know who Bruce Jenner is, uh, maybe you have heard the name that he has changed to, he's tried to change his name to Caitlyn Jenner. And that's been all over the news over the last couple months. And if you're not familiar with who Bruce Jenner is, uh, one reason he was a hero of mine when I was growing up is because he was a a world-class athlete who won a gold medal in the 1976 Summer Olympics in the decathlon. One of the, of course, decathlon being 10 events, one of the hardest things uh, to get a a medal in. But here's what... uh, Uh, Wikipedia says about Bruce Jenner. I don't like using the name that he chooses because God made him Bruce, not Caitlin. But anyway, here's just bear with what Wikipedia says. I'm quoting Caitlin Jenner, formerly known as Bruce Jenner, is a retired American athlete known for winning the men's decathlon at the 1976 Summer Olympics. She is currently starring in her own reality show called I Am Kate, which focuses on her gender transition. Multiple publications have described her as the most famous openly transgender person in the world since she came out in 2015. It was uh, sad. I, I read about an interview that Bruce Jenner had on the TV show called 2020 back in April of this year. And Bruce Jenner publicly stated for the first time in this interview, and I'm quoting from him, he said, I have always always been very confused with my gender identity. He went on to say that God gave me the soul of a female. And there's been magazines on our shelves, even here in New Zealand. Uh, you've probably seen, well, if, you, if your eyes are open, you've noticed, or if you watch the news, you might have seen magazines like this here. So he, he's stating publicly that God gave me the soul of a female. We've well, got to ask the question, is it even right for us to try to change our identity And I would say, based on what the Bible says, the answer is no. He shouldn't even attempt to do this. He's been taking hormone treatments and doing various things, of course. But God made him Bruce. God made him as a male. And it's not right to say that God gave him a soul of a female when God gave him the physical body of a male. And by the way, according to Wikipedia, he claims to be a Christian as well, which just breaks my heart, breaks my heart. What Bruce needs more than anything is he needs Jesus. He needs to find his identity in Christ. Sadly, he's not doing that. He's trying to find his identity in all the wrong places. He's trying to change what God has made, and it should break our hearts. Well, that, that brings up a question that the book of Colossians really addresses for us. Can God change people? 
It's not right for us to try to change ourselves like Bruce Jenner is trying to do. But what about God? He's the creator. Does he have the right? Well, of course he has the right. But the question is, can God radically change individual people that we can rightly now refer to them as born again? What about regenerated or recipients of a new life? Well, we're going to learn about the new life as we get the big picture of the book of Colossians. Here's another way of, of wording it, the, the question a little more simply for you. Can people really change? I'm not just talking about a surface change like Bruce Jenner is trying to do, or, or even, you know, trying to inject yourself with female hormones or that sort of a thing, or wearing, just trying to wear clothes is not a real change. Can people really change on the inside, from the inside out? Well, the book of Colossians is going to show you, you can really change from the inside out. And what we're going to see in Colossians is when you, when God changes you on the inside, it has an effect on the outside, in your whole manner of life. So that's the, the outrageous claim that Christians make. That's, that's the outrageous claim that God makes in the Bible. Sadly, there's many errors when you think about this new life in Christ. Let me just address some of them. Okay, There's a lot of confusion out there. There are some people who say, well, this, this, this change, this dramatic change, it's really just a matter of self-effort. It's all about you. Others present the new life as a life of private religious devotion has no effect on the public or anybody else. It's all about you again. Some describe it as a mystical contemplation. <laughs> Sounds quite New Ageish. Others believe the new life in Christ is entirely a matter of just visible actions. It's, it's just all about the outside. And then some deny that change is even needed. Why change? Some would say, hey, God, God made me this way, right? You should love me the way I am. I don't need to change. Others say that change is impossible, right? Uh, that, that's one of the things that the gay rights movement saying. Hey, it's, it's in my genes. It's in my DNA. How dare you attack my DNA? I can't change that, is what they're saying. God made me this way. <laughs> so can people really change? Well, to find the answers, we are going to turn to this letter that the Apostle Paul was used of the Holy Spirit to write to a church in the city of Colossae. And you say, well, where is this? Many of us are geographically challenged. Well, again, here's a map on the screen for you. It is in Turkey, kind of a central Turkey there. You can see there's some other cities in the area there that you might recognize. And when was this letter written? Well, we're not exactly sure which date, but it was somewhere between 60 and 62 A.D. So 60 to 62 years approximately after the birth of Christ. Why was it written? It's important you understand why these letters were written. You get some clues, some very good clues from this book. But here's uh, what one, one of my study Bibles says. I'm quoting from the study Bible. 
quote, a dangerous heresy arose to threaten the Colossian church. It contained elements of what later became known as Gnosticism, which is just that God is good, but matter is evil, that Jesus Christ was merely one of a series of emanations descending from God and being less than God, and that a secret higher knowledge above Scripture was necessary for enlightenment and salvation. The Colossian heresy also embraced aspects of Jewish legalism, for example, the necessity of circumcision for salvation, observance of the ceremonial rituals of the Old Testament law, and rigid asceticism. It also called for the worship of angels and mystical experience. Epaphras was so concerned about this heresy that he made the long journey from Colossae to Rome where Paul was a prisoner. End quote. You'll see Epaphras mentioned here in Colossians. He was rightly concerned about these heresies that were circulating. And so should we. Sadly, some of these things, if not all of them, are things that we will come in contact with. Things that you and I probably struggle with in our hearts. And so it's important that we get the big picture of Colossians today, which is going to describe the new life that Christians have in Christ. So let's talk about the new life from the book of Colossians together today, okay? First of all, we see that the new life begins and ends with God. This new life in Christ begins and ends with God. How is that even possible? How is this change even possible? Well, first of all, you can see here that the new life is given by God. It's the only way you're going to get it. The, The source of our new life is God. Paul begins the letter with a little prayer. Look at verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3. He says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. So Paul thanks God here because he knows God is the one who gives faith. He's the one who causes any Christian to believe and to trust in him. It's also God who strengthens our faith. Look at verse 11. God is the one who strengthens faith. Look at verse 11. Because again, Paul is praying here in verse 11. He says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. God also qualifies us to share in the inheritance of the saints. So Christians have an inheritance. You may not have an earthly inheritance, but my friend, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, you have a wonderful inheritance to look forward to. Because look what verse 12 says. Look at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Wow. (laughs) I'm glad I have that somebody qualified me for an inheritance. We also see God rescues us from the dominion of darkness, and He then brings us into the kingdom of His Son, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13. 
He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Wow, what a transformation, what a change. And then look at verse 14. Because it says, in whom, that's in Jesus. In Jesus we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So God redeems us. He buys us from the slave market of sin into his family, forgives sins. And by the way, who is doing all these wonderful things we just read about here in Colossians 1? Who is the subject doing this? Well, all of that is the work of God. You can't do this. God's the one who does the work. So clearly, this new life in Christ is a gift from God. Number two, new life should be lived for God. Not only is it given to you by God, not only is He the source, but then this new life has to be lived outside of you for for the one who gave it to you. Look what Paul prays in verse 10. Verse 10, it says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Why should we live these kind of lives? Why? Did you notice? It's not about pleasing yourself. It's not about pleasing your parents. It's not about pleasing your pastor. It's not about pleasing the government. It's about pleasing the Lord. Pleasing the Lord. You are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God's pleasure should be our delight, our joy, and our motive as well. So live for God. Number three, new life is lived with God. So He's the source, and you live for Him. Everything we do is for Him, but we also do it with God. The Christian life is rightly described as a relationship with God. You know what a relationship is, right? I hope you do. You all have relationships, physical relationships. And isn't it wonderful that God has made this possible for us to have a relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ? That's the only way it's possible. This new life begins because God reconciles. He, he makes us at one with Himself through Jesus. Look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. Chapter 1, verse 20, which says that through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. How can you have a relationship with God? It's through the work of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus died on the cross, so you can have a relationship with God. So in essence, our new life is a being reconciled to God. It's having our relationship with our Creator restored. It's marching us and taking us back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 when Adam and Eve could walk in that Garden of Eden and have a true relationship and fellowship with God. Because sin had not hindered their fellowship at that point. God could come to the Garden of Eden and 
and walk alongside of Adam and and they could carry on a conversation. That would have been awesome, wouldn't it? Wouldn't you love to do that? Well, guess what? If you're a believer in Christ, there's going to come a day when you're the curse of sin will be ultimately removed, and you will get to do that. So this new life is lived with God. It's restoring that relationship. See, you were originally created to have a relationship with God because it talks about that. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, For by Him, that's Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. You see that? It's also for Jesus. Jesus created you and this whole universe for Him. So you you were originally created to have this relationship with God. The problem is we traded our relationship for something that isn't near as good. We downtraded in this sense, because look at verse 21. Look at verse 21, because it says, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That's the bad news. So the problem is we traded our relationship for sin. Bad trade, wasn't it? A real bad trade. And sin made us strange to God. It made us enemies of God. And worse yet, we were enemies. We were hostile in our mind. We were alienated from God. So let me give you some good news in the next verse. The very next verse says this. Verse 22, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. So if, you, if you're a Christian, God has reconciled you. He has restored this relationship that was broken. <clears throat> How is that even possible? Well, it, it, it happened because of Christ's physical death. See, Jesus became a man so that he could die. Now, he was still God, but he was God and man at the same time. He was the God-man. He had to take on the human flesh so he could pay the penalty for your sin. And to what end, you might ask? Well, to present us blameless in his sight. So what have we seen here so far? Well, first of all, we've seen that this new life begins... And it ends with God. Second of all, I want you to see in this text here that the new life involves ourselves. Yes, it begins and ends with God, but it has something to do with us as well. First of all, we see that the new life radically changes what we are. Radically changes us. And we're talking way more of a change than Bruce Jenner's going through here. (laughs) Because look, look at chapter 2, verse 13. Look at chapter 2, verse 13. Because it says, And you, believers, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, 
God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Wow. (laughs) And so if you are a Christian, this then describes your experience, if you're a Christian. See, you were dead. The Bible describes you as dead, spiritually speaking. Not physically, but spiritually you're dead. And now God makes you alive. He makes your spirit alive. That is a radical change, is it not? Look at another reference. Chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1. You'll you'll see this idea several times in the book of Colossians. So look at chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Oh, Those are precious words. See, this new life radically changes what we are, but it's not easy. It's not easy. And that's where we come to number two. There's there's a battle that we all have to face. Number two, we see that the new life faces some competition. (laughs) The new life is going to face competition in several areas that Colossians mentions. But first of all, we see... It's going to face competition, some from empty promises. Promises that come with, oh, it, it sounds good, but there's, it, it's kind of like a check that bounces. You ever had one of those? Somebody says, oh, the money's in the bank. Here, let me write a check, and there's no money in the bank. Well, that's empty promises. Well, for starters, Paul points to the empty promises of worldly philosophies. I want you to look at chapter 2, verse 8, for example. Paul mentions these. Chapter 2, 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, why are these philosophies so dangerous? You have a lot of philosophies that you are bombarded with every day from from satan in this world your own flesh why are they so dangerous well they encourage people to rely on their own human wisdom they encourage people to rely on something other than jesus christ that's why it's dangerous and so paul exhorts his readers here to continue in christ look what he says in verse 6 Chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. In other words, live in Christ. Rooted and built up in Him. And established in the faith, just as you were taught. Abounding in thanksgiving. Don't lose sight of Christ. So as we continue on here, it appears that some people in the city of Colossae we're teaching that you have to submit to this list of rules. And, and why do you need to do that? Well, these list of rules kind of complete something that Christ can't do for you. See, you know, it's okay to have Christ, but 
you know, there's more to life than just Christ. That's what they were saying. You don't just need Christ. See, you need Christ plus all this other stuff. And that's what they were doing. So here, let's just tack on a, a whole heap of other rules as we, as we have this life in Christ. And they, they were teaching that God's full revelation was reserved for these Sabbath keepers and, and the keepers of all these food laws and other stuff. Some people insisted that the non-Jewish converts to Christ needed to be circumcised. Well, what did Paul think about that? Well, if you've read Galatians, you already know what he thought about that. Of course, Paul didn't go for that, that false teaching. In fact, he insists that the Colossians are already circumcised, spiritually speaking, in Christ. And that was far more important than the physical act of circumcision, because look what he says in chapter 2, verse 11. Verse 11, he talks about this, because he says that in him, in Christ, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. He's talking about a spiritual circumcision here that Christ did in their lives. And that was far more important. So praise the Lord. Christ had freed them from the law's demands. Religious forms and regulations can't produce a new life in you. See, you, you, you can conform outwardly to laws but that doesn't change your heart it doesn't change what's inside you religious forms and regulations can't do that and so look what the false worshipers were doing here in chapter 2 verse 16 verse 16 this is sad this is sad but this 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 happens in our world today this is this is not just an old thing look at verse 16 therefore Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the capital H head that's Jesus and not holding fast to Jesus from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world why as if you were still alive in the world Do you submit to regulations? Paul mentions a few in verse 21. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, these list of rules can't stop you from sinning. It's impossible. Only Christ can do that. And so Paul's basically saying this. I'll put it in my own words for you. 
Don't be fooled. See, they were saying that Christ plus outward rules pleases God in themselves. It makes them holy. No, Christ plus anything means you don't have Christ. And if you don't have Christ, you have nothing. So relying on Christ entirely is of utmost importance. It's it's all Christ or it's nothing. Either you have all of Christ or you don't have Him at all. Are we clear on that? Well, apparently Paul was aware of this, this false tendency to downplay Christ, which is why Epaphras went all the way to Rome to meet Paul. And so he prepares for the discussion of Christ's competitors by displaying Christ in all of His glorious splendor. This has got to be one of the greatest passages on Christ in all of Scripture. Look at chapter 1, verse 15. Chapter 1, verse 15. This is all about the glorious splendor of Christ. Verse 15 says that He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Let's move on, because there's another competition that the new life in Christ faces. So it's not just from the, the empty promises, but there is competition that comes from your old self. See, if you're a believer, your old self hasn't totally disappeared. That old sin nature, the residual effect, if you will, is still there. The curse of sin still remains. Even though the dominion, the rule of it has been broken by Jesus. So the new life faces competition from the old self. And you need to face reality here. You're going to face rivals from within. The competition's going to be intense. As Galatians 5 talks about, I live this every day of my life. I experience what Galatians 5 talks about every day of my life because it says that the, the flesh versus the spirit. They are at war against one another. <laughs> and so it's true the old self has died. If you look at verse 3, or sorry, chapter 3, verse 3. It says, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's true. So even though the old self has died, you have to continually put to death the the earthly nature that is still alive in one sense. You have to continually do this. In the Greek, it's in a continuous sense. Continually kill that old self. Treat it like a nasty weed. Like, what do you do with weeds, right? 
you can spray them with, with some weed killer, but weeds keep popping their ugly heads up, don't they? So you gotta, you got to treat that old self and just keep spraying it. Every time it pops its head up, just give it some more weed killer. That's how you got to treat it. Look what it says here. Chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. What's earthly in you? Well, he gives some examples here. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you two once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So the old self here, we'll we'll just pause there, the old self continues to make threats against our allegiance to Christ. It's trying to get you to go back and serve the old master, if you will. That's what it's trying to do. So it shows up in various things, these sins that are mentioned here, like sexual immorality and Impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, covetousness. So sadly, that old way of life can feel like a second nature to the Christian. In one sense, if you treat it like a computer, it's almost like default mode. Isn't that frustrating, though? Your your computer, you know, you you think you've set the settings on your computer to a certain mode. Just, you know, you've, you've personalized your settings, and then something happens to your computer, and you come back and it's gone back to some other default mode. That's annoying, isn't it? Like, I didn't tell you to do that. Stop that. Well, your, your old self kind of does that sometimes. It's annoying. And so the Christian has to put on a different kind of spiritual clothing, if you will. Well, what does that new clothing look like? Look at chapter 3, verse 12. See, you put off... But verse 12 says, To put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Pause. (laughs) Look at verse 17 here. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. We'll stop there for the moment. So, uh, we've talked about some bad news. We've talked about how your new life in Christ is going to face some competition. 
that you're going to face your, your three enemies. You need to keep this in mind. The Bible talks about three enemies that every Christian has. So, of course, you have Satan or the devil. But this world system that we live in is also your enemy. But you have the enemy within, the old self, which Colossians is talking about. So you have those three enemies that you have to deal with. And so that's bad news, but there is some good news here. So I hope you're ready for some good news. And we see forth that the new life is not going to be defeated. Your new life in Christ will never be defeated. The, the new life that is real actually lasts. How does it last? Well, you, you must fight to endure. And all the while you're fighting to endure, you're trusting that, that God is the one who's going to preserve you because you can't. You can't preserve your life. So look how Paul exhorts his readers here to continue. Chapter 1, verse 22. Chapter 1, verse 22. It says, He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So we will be presented holy, separate, distinct, in God's sight if if we continue. Notice, you have to continue. So, what are we going to do? Continue, right? So your struggle is not over in this life until you breathe your last breath. Till that last breath leaves your body, you have to keep struggling. See, if you're not struggling, then you have a problem. <laughs> it means you're dead. So keep struggling. So we've seen that the new life begins and ends with God. But it also deeply involves ourselves. You have to put off and you have to put on in God's strength. We really change. We, we struggle and we persevere in this life. Third, we're going to see here that the new life involves living for others. It's not all about you. It's also about living for others. Now, Paul exemplifies this quite well for us, even in this book. So let's just talk about Paul for a moment and see how he lived out the new life in Christ, and then we'll talk about what are some things you and I can do to live out the new life in Christ. Well, we see, first of all, the new life is exemplified by Paul. How does he do that? Well, he does it, first of all, by writing to them. Now, remember, you have to keep in mind, this is a prison epistle. Paul's sitting in prison in Rome. He can't actually go to the city there in Turkey, and, and meet with these people. So all we have to do is look at this letter. He's written some difficult words of warning and rebuke. He's written words of encouragement and instruction. And he's doing this all the while while sitting in prison. <laughs> How about you? What, what would you do <laughs> if you were sitting in prison? Well, not only does he write to them, he thanks God for them. In chapter 1, verse 3, he says, We always thank God the Father when we pray for you. And why is he doing that? Well, look at verse 4. 
he, he's heard about them. He's heard about their faith here. Verse 4, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you, you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you. So in this, well, let me ask you this, okay? Is this what you thank God for in the lives of other Christians? Is this the sort of stuff you're thanking God for? Do you, do you thank God for anything? And if you do, when you thank God, what are you thanking God for? I hope you're thanking God for other Christians and what God's doing in their lives. These are the sort of things we need to focus on. Well, Paul also prayed for them, so he's exemplifying this, what a new life in Christ looks like by, by also praying for them. The wonderful prayer here in chapter 1, starting verse 9. Look at chapter 1, verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Let me ask you, do you ever pray those kind of prayers for yourself and other people? Is this what you pray for? I hope you do. If you don't know how to pray, let me encourage you to use the prayers of the Bible. These are Holy Spirit-inspired prayers. And you can know if you use these kind of prayers, you know that you are praying according to God's will, and He will hear you. Number four, he, Paul preaches to and he suffers for these dear people. Yet another way he's exemplifying this new life in Christ. He preaches to them and he suffers for them. Look at verse 24. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Pause. <laughs> so Paul was preaching to them. He was suffering for them on their behalf. Number five, Paul desires their perfection and their maturity in Christ. He mentions this in verse 28. Verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's a godly desire. And then we also see the new life being lived out in every sphere of life. You say, well, what spheres of life are affected by the gospel? What spheres of life are affected by this new life in Christ? Well, Paul mentions the home as one example. The home is one. Look at chapter 3, verse 18. Chapter 3, verse 18. 
we are wives are commanded here in verse 18 to submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants or employees, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. Sorry, I've actually moved on to the workplace, which is the second area or sphere of life that Jesus influences the workplace, starting in verse 22. So we are exhorted in in verse 22 here to obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters or employees, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Pause. So, what other other area or sphere of life does Christ influence and affect? Well, If that isn't enough, basically we see every place is affected. Because look at chapter 4, verse 2. Chapter 4, verse 2 says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each person. Okay, there's a few spheres of life where Christ influences. So your new life will make the most of every opportunity